0: Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio your host Chris Hanholtz and Richard Story joining you on October 29th 2022 that means we are just 2 days away from Reformation Day yes we're going to call it Reformation Day y'all want to call it Halloween that's fine but we're 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 more concerned about the the, the shot heard round the world that's changed the, the the face of Christian history when Martin Luther pounded that those ninety-five theses on the Wittenberg Hall door. Um, so that's what we're, we're going to focus on now. <laughs> Go ahead, I, brother. I'm
1: going I'm, I'm to do something I don't ever do. I'm going to interrupt your intro.
0: What we <laughs> need to call
1: it is National Gospel Track Day. Amen. Because it is the only day of the year people will come to your house to receive a gospel track. Yes. But I, I posted this the other day as a joke. <laughs> you know, it's Halloween. And and it's okay for little kids to go around and demand candy from people in at their homes, but you walk around and start nailing tracks to doors and all of a sudden you're <laughs> arrested for evangelism. Well,
0: I think it has something to do with like putting a hole in the door. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so scotch tape, scotch tape, I think we're good. So <laughs> but yes, yes, National Evangelism Day. I love that idea as well. And if you really want if you want to make sure all the kids show up get like the full it's going to cost you a couple bucks but get the full-size candy bars because then everybody's going to go that house is where you want to go even better idea so get lots of good tracks get you know gospel booklets get dvds whatever it is and get full-size snicker bars you know twix three musketeers whatever you know you want to give them i guarantee you everybody will show up so Which is getting harder and harder to do because I don't know about you, but brother, I very few people knock on our doors anymore on Halloween. Um, Yeah, trunk trunk or treat has gotten to
1: be the The, big thing around here. Yeah, it's kind of the big safer option. I I saw a really funny thing, uh, and I'm assuming it was a joke. I kind of hope it was a joke, but someone posted about this year they're so broke they were putting a vending machine, vending machine (laughs) on the front door on the front front porch. (laughs) <laughs> and, and it was a picture of a vending machine yeah. with all the Halloween decorations. Yeah, I, no kidding. I, I found that amusing. Yeah. I found that rather amusing. And, you
0: know, you got to raise gas money somehow, right? Because <laughs> this administration, despite all its claims to the contrary, isn't doing anything about it. Uh, I, I kid you not, folks, I have never in my life thought that I would live in a time when the government in America would emulate the government of Soviet Russia in the 80s when they, bold face, lie to your face. <laughs> and Biden literally continues to do so, including saying it was $5 a gallon when he took office. No, it was $5 a gallon earlier this year, Mr. President. It's come down about a dollar, and we're still paying nearly twice as much as when you took office. So, yeah, uh, well, dude, the folks at Pravda that 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 wonderful truth telling media newspaper in the eighties in Soviet Russia would be really proud. So <laughs> Well I was gonna
1: say in Biden's defense, he he is he is re, he's relaying the messages oh, and yes. reading the teleprompter. He is a soft and I, I feel I feel sorry for the man because I'm yes. convinced he has no idea what year it is or no. what's going on in the world or anything else. He's just doing and saying what they're telling him to do and say so whoever's feeding him that are really the ones that are yes. putting the lies out they're just no i very very poor sick an uh, elderly sick man in a very very bad way to i
0: i, I promote agree
1: and, and regurgitate their propaganda but i do i feel sorry for for biden because it's obvious at this point the man is suffering from either alzheimer's or some form yes. of dementia or something um but, you know, that's one reason that we really need to be praying for him. Yes. And praying for the salvation of those around him. Yes. But, you know, I I, I don't doubt that he probably would have gone along with it 10 mm-hmm. years ago had he been president. But in all honesty, I really, truly believe the man is suffering from some form of dementia. And he's he, he doesn't... He doesn't remember what he said yesterday, much less what's going on today. And well, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not being mean about no. that. I'm being, I'm being very serious, and I do, I mean it. I feel sorry for him, and I pity those around him that are subjecting him to putting out the lies because the Bible says, "Woe to whom temptation by whom temptation comes." Yes. So you know, they they're, It's like encouraging a child to go lie to another. To their parents yes. and in this situation you have an elderly gentleman suffering from dementia and you have people around him that are supposedly leaders of the country telling him to share a lie. Yeah. so well, in, in I, that context it's just as bad as telling a child to go lie to someone else
0: yeah and, and i can say from experience because i have someone in, in my life uh, through extended family who has gone uh, who, who deals with you know Like uh, severe Alzheimer's now and we watched that person go through the stages of not being able to articulate certain words or certain phrases to certain concepts to failing to understand what was being said to uh, forgetting things to to the point where now this person might get a few clear words out and doesn't you know it's sad to watch, you know, and unfortunately watching him on the screen, I see exactly what I saw in, uh, in this person's life. So it is, it is tragic and it is a sin as to what's going on. Um, regardless of whether you support the man or not, and, and I, I imagine many of our listeners do not, uh, but whether you support him politically or not, what is being done, I don't care if this was, uh, if this was being done with a conservative or a Democrat uh, you know, or anywhere in, the, in between, to put someone up so that they are a rubber stamp, a sock puppet, so that you can move that forward, that's sinful. It is It is destructive to that person to put them through the sheer amount of stress that that does. That does so much worse to the mind. And you do so because you have an agenda. I, like I said, I don't care which side of the, the uh, political spectrum you're on. If you're doing that, you're wrong. And, and unfortunately we're watching that happen in Pennsylvania right now with a with a senate uh, uh, senate senate race and there's a gentleman who suffered a stroke and he's struggling and they they they're not going to for they don't care about his health they care about winning a political seat for a rubber stamp and again i don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on that's wrong that's simply wrong it's sinful and uh, everybody that is doing that they're going to stand before god And they're going to be held accountable for everything they said and did. And um, whether this person was a willing participant or not, and I do believe that there is a certain um, aspect of the president that is still functional because there are times when he does have cogent conversations. But whether he's willing to participate or not is irrelevant. What you're doing is wrong. And um, those, those individuals, as you say, Rich, we need to pray for them. Uh, because they will stand before God and they will be held accountable for everything that's been done. So, anyway, that's not our topic tonight. Uh, <laughs> in fact, what we're hoping is done with this particular episode, we may have just derailed it right from the beginning because we got into a political discussion. So, <laughs> well, actually, it, it, it,
1: you, you could say right. that tonight's topic has application there because. Yes, it does these people that are quote-unquote leading this country, they are doing things from a certain point of view that they think is right and correct, even if it completely contradicts the truths that's taught in the Bible. But sadly, there are many professing Christians who have grown up being told a particular viewpoint is the right viewpoint yeah. that even they are being deceived into believing Anything under the sun. Yeah. So how was how was that for a transition? I, I think
0: that's a very good transition. Well done, sir. <laughs> well done. Well done. All right. So what we're going to talk about tonight is I think it's a common question, and there's a, a clip from Vodi Balcom that we'll play a little in a little while that addresses this. But it started with a conversation within my own household, and it was uh, one of my family members who had had a friend that was asked a particular question, and. The question was, uh, and I'm being a bit generic here because I don't feel like it's, I don't want to get into details of somebody else's life, but generically the question was something to the effect of, well, okay, well, if God's real, why is your life so terrible? And um, I thought, you know, I spent probably maybe a half hour in a conversation with my son about this, about the perspective that that question offers. And uh, and again, like I said, Vody Balcom addressed this wonderfully in one of his sermons from many years ago. The, the, the issue is, is that when the person asks this particular question, you know, it's kind of a variation on it. Well, if, if, uh, if God's real, why do bad things happen to good people? Or if God's real, why does, why does evil exist? If God's real, why is life difficult? <clears throat> it's usually a variation on that particular type of question. And the problem is, is that it starts with a very wrong perspective. See, the problem with this question is, if, 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 you were to ask me, Chris, if God is real, why does, why did that bad thing happen in your life? It assumes that as an individual on this earth, that there's something about me as a person, or if I ask it of someone, if I say, well, if God's real, why has my life been so difficult? It makes an assumption about me as the question asker or referring to another person that that person there's something inherently good about them that if God is really good, that if God exists, that if God does good things, then that person or myself should never have to encounter difficulty in my life. To, To phrase it a little bit more differently, if I'm a good person, then my life should not have to deal with bad things. In other words, if I'm good, good should come to me. If I'm a good person, Bad should not happen, and if that's the problem with the assumption, is it? It relies upon one's own subjective understanding of what is good and what is wrong. What is right is what is wrong. What is good, what is bad, and it what I deserve. If I, if my definition of good is how I define myself. So I wrote an article for this, and we'll, we'll attach it to the show notes, and what I basically start the, the article with is that the problem with this question is that it's loaded with presuppositions. It assumes that if God's real, life cannot be difficult. All right, That's the question. If, if God is real, why do bad things happen? Well, in other words, if bad happens, God can't be real. So it has to be a good life for God to be real. That's the assumption. It assumes that I as an individual should never have to deal with difficulty. Now, I understand none of us like having a difficult life. None of us like having an illness strike us. We don't like having a job loss. We don't we don't like losing a loved one or child or a friend or a family member. We don't like those things. And that's understandable. But it your question assumes that you never should have to. If if God is real, then I shouldn't have to deal with this. Right? It assumes that I'm a good enough person that good should come to me. And it assumes that God owes me a good life. That's the problem is that there are it is loaded with a great many presuppositions going into the question. We haven't even established whether any of those presuppositions are true. It is just assumed that that if I ask the question, if God is good, why does bad things happen? It assumes a great many of those things. And I don't, most of us don't even think about it. It's just, we live in a day and an age, especially if you're in a Western culture like America, that we assume life should be good. And that's part of the problem, Rich, is that it, it, the question itself has a great deal of presupposition loaded into it. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. And just to clarify, I want to give a couple of brief definitions for those that may be listening that are not familiar with some terms. Um, Subjective means ideas or statements which are dominated by personal feelings, opinion, preferences of the speaker. It's an interpretation of truth or reality from the speaker's angle that informs and affects the judgment of people and is always biased. It can be a belief, opinion, rumor, assumption, suspicion that is influenced by the speaker's standpoint. A subjective point of view is characterized by past experiences, knowledge, perceptions, understanding, and desires of the specific person. These statements are exclusively based on the ideas or opinion of the person making it, as there is no universal truth. Now, in in the context of this, it would be the person asking the question why do you have such a bad life? Or if God exists, why do people have such bad lives? First, the the if, if you're engaging in this type of conversation, the first thing you need to understand is the point of view the person asking the question is coming from. Now, we won't go into all of this tonight, but typically if I'm engaged in a conversation similar to this, The first thing is you need to ascertain whether the person asking it is a Christian or a non-Christian because the answers are going to be somewhat different. Because if you answer that question according to biblical Christianity, the person you're discussing it with will have no ability to completely comprehend or understand Mm -hmm. what it means to have joy amidst suffering. Because, and I think there are several reasons in this world, why that perception exists, why some people think that, well, I don't do this, I don't do that, I'm a good person, you know, why does everything bad seem to happen to me? And sadly, outside of Christianity, people go to psychology, they go to worldviews, they go to everything except the Bible. And in today's age, there's a lot of things out there that influences what I call subjective values, beliefs that people have based on perception, based on opinion, based on cultural norms, based on what entertainment is telling you what you should and shouldn't have. And in today's entertainment-driven generation, especially if you're talking to a younger person, they're going to view people around them, and they're going to view their life and other people's lives based on what Pop culture is telling them did make them successful, and it overlaps with within certain aspects of Americanized Christianity that you know is watered down in the prosperity gospel, and even in society we're we're looking at and dealing with wokeism, social equity. But I think a lot of it goes back to the misconception of the Constitution, which is grounded in Americanized Christianity and I saw a pastor say this not long ago on online and it still made makes me shiver. Said we have a God given right for the pursuit of happiness. No, we have a God given right as Christians for the pursuit of holiness. Happiness never comes into account within that. I mean, do you really think Paul was actually happy while he was locked up in jail in Philippi or in Rome? Or you think he was happy while he was being stoned to death for standing on biblical truth. That's something someone outside of Christianity cannot understand. So we need to address what point of view that person is coming from. And we have to understand that most opinions are based on these subjective values, not absolute truth. Because the world and the culture, especially today, is telling you know that everyone should have the same outcome. Everyone should not only have the same opportunities for success, but everyone should have the same outcomes of success. And even success is defined in different terms, depending on who you ask, because in today's America, people will look at someone that is you know, successful in business or has a very high paying job and they have a big giant home and two or three cars and they have, and that's the key word, have this, 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 or this things of the world. That's how they judge whether someone is successful or not. Mm-hmm. They're they're not looking at whether someone has been married for thirty years and have raised four children and you know, they have enough to eat and drink and, and you know, a clean environment. People's views will be determined or their, their opinions will be shaped by their surroundings and by what they're told and what they're taught and what they see. And sadly, in young people, their definition of good is successful in worldly terms when mm-hmm. it comes to money and success and fame and notoriety and popularity and all of these type of things. But we need to realize, too, that part of the influence on the younger generation of those outside of Christ is rooted in psychology. And I'm going to read a short article that was giving advice on why people have a bad life. <clears throat> and if you're a Christian, you should be able to pick up and understand some of these points. And Chris, when I get through, I want you to reply and kind of point out some of the problems with this. But it went on to read, Some people have, some people have had bad lives because they do not have access to what they need to grow and thrive, and they cannot get access to these things. Family, friends, support, love, and acceptance. Activities that are rewarding and life-sustaining, bettering, a decent good job and education, a fair income, a home to live in with people you like, nutritious food, decent health care, not being sabotaged by greedy or jealous or hateful people is all part of a good life, so take that away and you have a bad life. People often have a lack of these things, which results in a bad life due to circumstances put in place before they were even born, though many want to ignore that fact because they would rather judge others for their misfortune equals judgment junkies. They were born with specific talents and weaknesses, their environment and who they were born to, good parents, relative prosperity, health, intelligence, being a certain race, gender, attractiveness, Positive experiences are greater than negative ones. Cultural beliefs and having good things given to you early on will determine what outcome they, what, will determine what outcome they determine. I'm, <laughs> I'm reading it as it was written, so I, I don't understand that part, but anyway, how much access have they have to alter their circumstances and have a better life instead of one filled with stagnation, cruelty, torture, depression, physical illness, etc? A bad life isn't simply about one thing going wrong because that can be countered. When multiple bad experiences and circumstances fill your life till you are slowly dying and very miserable and cannot remember what a good day or happiness or being loved felt like, this is a bad life, and oftentimes it's not the person. No matter what people want you to believe so they can better themselves and puff up their egos at your expense. It's like telling a kid they are responsible for mom and dad getting divorced and guilt is a part of depression. What makes this tactic to harm an already injured person shut down just a bit more? Look for all you can to gather good people and experiences and best of luck, but never blame yourself. And don't be nice to anyone who has been cruel to you. Just get far away from them as you can possibly can. Learning self-defense and self-reliance helps people cope, so perhaps that could offer some solution. Best of luck. Now, one thing you did, briefly touch on <clears throat> excuse me briefly touch on that is avoided in these conversations people do not want to take responsibility for the bad in their life meaning they don't want to take responsibility for decisions they made that have led mm-hmm. to that bad life More that, that these are some actual conversations I've had over the years someone will mention the fact that you know their life is just horrible. They, they recently got arrested for a DUI and got put in jail for six months and they lost their driver's license. And I don't understand why these bad things happen to me. And that's, that's an extreme example, but that is an example Mm -hmm. when people determine that bad things happen to them more times than not, they do not look at the actions that they did that incur that occurred to bring about something quote unquote bad in their life. Now, granted, there are in this in this little article, there are some truths to it to where if you're born into a certain environment that will affect Mm -hmm. certain aspects, but that still does not give you justification to think that, well, all of this has happened to me and I was born into this and I can't get out of it. So none of this has happened to me is my fault. I think that's probably very rare circumstances. And truth be told, nine out of 10 times, people's, the way they define a bad life as it applies to themselves or maybe someone else is they're not taking into account decisions and actions by the individual that led to that said mm-hmm. bad life. You know, I, 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 growing up over the years and, and now have three grown children and have interacted. And talked with some of their friends growing up. And especially once they got in college age, you know, the way that, how do I put this? The way some young women dress. Mm-hmm. If they think nothing of it, they're trying to be cute. You know, the said, say, young woman goes to a college party. Has too much to drink. Gets drunk. Passes out. And she's raped. Now, granted, she didn't ask to be raped. But she still needs to take a certain amount of responsibility for putting herself in that situation to begin with. Now, that is not the point of the topic, the top, you know, the point of our discussion, but I'm using that as an extreme example that people will not, people do not want to take responsibility for their actions and people do not want to take responsibility for the outcome of their actions. And more times than not, they will say that this bad thing happened to me without it examining what they did or could have done differently to have avoided that situation to begin with. Does any of that make sense, brother?
0: No, absolutely. And I think you really nailed a a good portion of that is that despite whatever circumstances you are in, um, you still have a responsibility for your own actions. Um, One of the things that stands out to me about that particular article is that it talks about, well, people that don't have access to, In other words, their life is difficult because they don't have access to finances, resources, education, etc. We hear this a lot. It's oftentimes the lament of social justice uh, proponents is that, well, if everybody had access to wealth, if they had access to good paying jobs, if they had access to certain education or opportunities, then everything would be equal and there would be no problems. Again, that goes back to a subjective understanding of what is good. It, you know, the article itself hints at that the idea of a good life is that which, as you said earlier, it's successful, it provides for your needs. So it provides more than uh, it's kind of the American dream story. And so when they say you don't have access to, that is oftentimes the the way we, Minimize a person's personal life choices. Well, if I didn't have access to, what other choice would I have ma- made? In other words, um, and so the that's really kind of a, a a really false dichotomy. And it says, well, you'll only make the right choices if you have access. You'll ha- you'll make the wrong choices if you don't have access. And uh, it minimizes a person's personal responsibility and utterly ignores, uh, 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 excuse me, utterly ignores that many people, even without the access to a good life as as we would define it, have made choices in their life that they benefited from and did better with, as opposed to people who made poor choices, sinful choices, and sadly reaped the consequences of that. And I, I think I just stepped on you. So go ahead, brother.
1: No, that's okay. I just wanted to throw in there and ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think in today's culture and today's environment, and I'm not talking growing up in a Christian home, right. going to church, I'm talking culture as a whole, people are programmed to live and believe a certain set of subjective values, oh, yeah. just like you were talking about with the woke and social justice and all this. They're programmed to think in a particular way that they gauge success or failure by the programming they had being meaning what they were taught and told growing up without ever exercising any type of critical thinking to the issue or the subject to determine whether this is really really true or not they just take for granted what people tell them and what other people believe and they apply it to their lives thinking okay this is what I should have this is what I should be doing In order to be successful or to have a good life, I think a
0: lot of that is true. I mean, if you think back to about maybe the '90s, when here in America we started seeing a push toward um, postmodern thinking—you know, your truth is a valid truth. There's no one particular truth. And over time, what that did is it—it kind of made everything this amorphous substance that whatever I defined as true was was it was how I lived and over time critical thinking and determining truth was put by the wayside. Now what we have in, in our current generation is since there is no one truth such as i.e. Christian truth what the Bible teaches then we have to find a way to substitute and we and since critical thinking skills are no longer taught here's the new truth and a lot of times it's the, the 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 social justice or something like that, and people because we have no longer are engaged in that we're no longer evaluating truth as a as an objective uh, you know an objective source of information. It's now well you that's your truth and I can I can dismiss what I don't like hearing. And I don't have to think about it because that's that's just your truth. It do, it doesn't impact me. But now I've glom, I can glom onto what I I say is is true, and I can fight like the devil to keep that you from impacting this truth over here. And so now I don't have to think about it. I can just identify it, say it's true. And now I don't have to fight for it. Now now I don't have to define it. Now I don't have to defend it. I just have to push you away. So I think there's a certain amount of uh, truth in what you're saying. So bringing this kind of full circle where we were at, uh, at the beginning of this, is that we have said, when we asked the question, well, if God is real, why do bad things happen? we are we are loading this with presuppositions, these subjective presuppositions about what a good life is and how I'm owed that in some capacity. Uh, we may not say it that way. I mean, I think there's uh, some ways we really do. I don't deserve this is a, is a typical phrase. I don't deserve to be treated this way. I don't deserve these things to happen to me. Uh, even if I make bad choices, uh, if I sin, I can still, I can dismiss them as a mistake. I was... Uh, What was I reading just the, uh, I think I was reading, oh, I forget which book I was reading the other day, where, um, oh, it was Jerry Bridges' Transforming Grace. And I was reading in where he cites how sins are now mistakes and how he uh, he gives an example of an athlete who gets caught using, uh, gets accused of using, you know, performance enhancing. Medications, deny, 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 deny. Finally, gets caught at it. The person is asked point blank in an interview, "Well, then you lied, right?" "No, I made a mistake." So it's uh, we don't we don't recognize that what we're doing is sinful. We don't wish we don't want to admit that it's sinful, and so we we even when we do things wrong, we find a way to say, "Well, that was a mistake." But, but even though I made this mistake, I don't deserve that. And so we fail to recognize that we have predefined the only way we can allow God to exist is if God operates on my terms. Now, I want to play this, uh, at least a portion of this audio clip um, with Vody Baucom talking about this question. And it's, it's a few minutes long, so just hang in there for a second. Uh, he's going to explain why the question is the wrong question, and then we'll continue from there. But I want you to listen to this, because Vodi really nails this on the head, so let me hit play here. What is wrong with the world? You.
2: I I mean, me too, but mainly, you. (laughs) Hostile in mind, and engaged in evil deeds. What is wrong with the world? You are the crowning glory of the creation of God. You were created to live and bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead, you are hostile toward the one by whom and for whom you were created. That is what's wrong with the world. My students come up to me all the time after taking a semester in philosophy. There ought to be a rule. You should not be able to talk about philosophy unless you've had more than a semester of philosophy. If you haven't had any, that's fine. Talk away. But if you've had a semester, you are messed up. You'd be better off just not taking it at all. And they'll come up and they'll say things to me and they fuck these things out. And I'm on the campus to talk about these issues and dealing with apologetics and they want to catch me alone and ask me these questions. And they look at me and they say, I just wanted to ask you that um, if you believe in a God that is omnipotent and omnibenevolent, then how do you reconcile the issue of theodicy? To which I respond, took a semester of philosophy, right? Oh, yes how did you know because if you hadn't you'd have just said listen god's so powerful and so good how come bad stuff happens but i'm not going to answer the question until you ask it correctly <laughs> i worked on that all week what do you mean ask it correctly You're not asking the question properly. What do you mean ask the question properly? It's my question. You can't tell me how to ask my question. I will answer your question when you ask it properly. How do I ask it properly? Here's how you ask that question properly. You look me in my eyes and you ask me this. How on earth can a holy and righteous God know what I did and thought and said on yesterday and not kill me in my sleep
0: last night. How indeed, how can we expect a God who is good, who is righteous, who is perfect, who has seen all, knows all about us? How can we expect a good God to look at our lives and the sins we've committed and not immediately strike us dead in our sleep that following night. Perfectly phrased, perfectly phrased, and really exposes the presuppositions of this question, if God is good, why do bad things happen? That's really what this boils down to. I have to understand the question, as as Vodi says in this clip, I have to understand it from God's perspective. I can't ask that question from my perspective. That's the wrong question. If I ask the question and if it's from my perspective, I say I'm a good person or humanity is generally good, so why do these bad things happen? Rather, the question should be if God is good, if God is the defining, you know, substance of good. And I and the world are constantly at war, as he said, hostile to God. How does God allow this world to continue to spin? That is the proper question. It's not to say, well, why did God let this happen to me? Rather, it's why did God allow anything good to happen to me? Why does God allow me to continue to breathe his air? By the way, you are breathing his air. And when's the last time you thanked him for that? So the basis of whether my life should be one of ease or of difficulty, the, you know, the idea that I should have some sort of uh, consequence or reward or deficit for my life can't be on my basis because I get to define myself all the time and I think I'm a pretty good person. And if I think I'm a pretty good person, then I think I should have blank. Well, the question isn't whether you define it that way, but who does get to define it? Who decides what's good? Who decides what you deserve? Who decides how you should be paid out? Who but God is the one to allow for tribulation, to intervene in a time of tribulation, or to prevent tribulation. That truth is, it is God Himself. God is the sole standard of right and wrong, good and evil. He is the one by which we define these things. He is morally perfect, he's morally righteous. If we need to understand what good is, we look to God. We don't look to the world around us. You compare me to Hitler. Well, okay. According to some people's standard, apparently I would be about as evil as Hitler. <laughs> but if I if I would look to look at the world stage, and I would look at Genghis Khan or, or uh, you know, some uh, Stalin or Marx or Hitler, people who are responsible for millions of deaths over the centuries, I would say I'm a pretty good guy. If I compare myself to Jeff, Jeffrey Dahmer new show on Netflix from what I understand about Jeffrey Dahmer. If I compare myself to Jeffrey Dahmer, man, I'm a saint. But if the standard is not what I look like compared to somebody else's sins, but rather the standard is God's, that's a different story. God is the only one who gets to determine whether you are good or evil because he is the one who is good. Christ himself said, "Well, you know, when he's asked a question, you know, he's called good teacher, he says, you know, not not to say that he himself was not a good teacher, but rather to make sure that a man understood the question why do you call me good? there is one good but God in other words, if you call me a good teacher you have to understand you're calling me good in comparison to God therefore good is the that's god's standard and so when we stack up our lives against a completely righteous holy God there's not one of us who is good because we all fall short. Romans tells us that we all fall short of the glory of God. We are morally bankrupt. We are evil when we are compared to the righteous and holy God. And it's Jeremiah, I believe Jeremiah that says that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. No matter how good you are Compared to God, you are like a nasty, oil-stained, blood-stained cloth that is just foul and rancid because God is that good. Rich, did you want to say something? I'm sorry.
1: Well, another aspect of this, sadly, is a lot of people outside of Christ or those in the world or those that have never even professed Christ look and say, well, look at all the hypocrisy in the church. I don't see these people living any different than I am. I'm just as good as they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I try to I try to be nice to people, I'm polite. You know, based on a lot of them, you know, I treat people with respect. I do this, I do that. Based on you know, comparing myself against them, I'm a lot I'm a, a lot better person than they are. The problem is that like you said, the the gauge is not what other people are doing or saying around you, the standard is God and God's word. Because even among professing Christians, and that the key word there is professing, sadly, in American evangelicalism and among those who profess Christ, there's still those people who will want what they want and they're willing to lie, cheat, and steal to get it. And many of them are still willing to say or justify their actions by saying, well, the ends justify the means. But that's not what Christ teaches
0: us
1: according to his word. It's not what we want as Christians. We are to live to please God, to glorify God, to strive for holiness in our lives. But sadly, those outside of Christ can't know what is and what is not a real Christian because they're using the standard of the world instead of the standard of God. And when when you compare yourself to another person, you're not comparing yourself to the standard that God has set. You're comparing yourself to the standard that you have set because you want to justify what you're doing or saying or thinking. And as Christians, it's still a struggle because we have to conform our thoughts, our minds, and our hearts to God's will, not to our own will. And it's never, my opinion or what I want, or what I think. It's how do I take those things and view them through the lens of Scripture to conform myself more to the image of Christ while I'm here. For one thing, that's impossible outside of the Holy Spirit and a God-given desire to want to conform to the image of Christ. Sadly, within American evangelicalism and those who profess Christ, you're dealing with people that are actually false converts who have never truly come to be indwelt by Christ. So if you're listening to this and and you don't attend church or, or whatever your situation may be, if you take nothing else away from this episode, remember you will find sinners in the church. You will find people acting and, mm-hmm. and disobeying God within the church. Don't judge yourself those that you see don't judge yourself or gauge yourself based on the actions thoughts and words of professing Christians because that person may not necessarily be a real Christian open up a Bible and read what God teaches for yourself start in the New Testament start in the book of John read the book of Romans start in these places and start asking yourself is this what I'm thinking is this what I'm doing is this what I'm striving for Or do my wants, my desires, what I hope for, is that actually what's ruling and controlling my life? Because once in Christ, your desires change, your outlook changes, your worldview changes. In fact, you you actually change and become a different person. Mm -hmm. Where once you found trials to be, you know, suffering to be such a hardship and you can barely make it through or you're you're having to struggle to pay your bills whatever the situation may be those problems will not go away just because you're a christian but you will understand and have joy during those trials and struggles and suffering that is not able to be explained by those outside of christ it's like trying to explain to someone what true love is between you and your wife you can explain it all you want but unless you're there and they're given that type of love, you will never understand it. And the Bible actually teaches that it's Christ alone that opens a heart and allows a person to understand. Mm -hmm. So please keep that in mind as you go forward if you're listening to this episode, especially if you are outside of Christ. There's a link on our website. It's a gospel presentation link. Please go to that and read it and consider what's written there seriously, and start asking yourself and examining yourself is your self, are you the God of your own life or are you truly submitting to the Lord and savior, Jesus Christ himself? Are you trying to work and earn your salvation or do you truly understand that nothing you can do on this earth will merit, give you merit, give you the credibility, give you the credentials, to actually earn and work your way to heaven because salvation is a gift from the Lord. If you could work your way to salvation, then you would be able to boast and say, look what I did. I did this. Being in Christ is not like having a Twitter account or Facebook account or TikTok account or whatever account you have that you work at and grow and have thousands of followers and you can look back and say, I did that. In Christ, he does it all. He did it all. He will do it all. But you have to come to him on his terms, not your own. Amen. Back to you, brother.
0: Amen. And I want to correct myself. I accidentally said, uh, I. it was Jeremiah that said, our, our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment or filthy rags. It's actually Isaiah, from Isaiah 64, uh, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. However, it was Jeremiah who gave us the reason why and that is because he says in Jeremiah 17:9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The reason we are in such rebellious state against God is because, and, and why we think all our, these good things that we do are so awesome, the, is that we have this heart of sin. We were born and conceived in sin. And we sin because we're sinners by nature. So that's going to be offensive to you. You're not going to like hearing that. How dare you judge me this way? But it is not I or Rich or anyone else judging. This is the word of God revealing to you. Because in comparison to the holy and righteous God, this is who you are. This is who I am. This is who Rich is. And so when we think, well, life shouldn't be hard. Life shouldn't be difficult like this. We're saying to God, well, I think I've, I've earned something of, of, of some sort of goodness. But the reality is God looks at you and says, apart from Christ, as Rich just pointed out, you, you, all your righteousness, all your goodness is as filthy rags. It's only in Christ that we become good because we take on the righteousness of Christ. So apart from Christ, God is a perfect, righteous, holy judge. We are not. We are, we are foul and loathsome. We are sinful. What would then possess us to think we should deserve something good. This is a very bitter pill to swallow, but the truth is, if you stand before God, a convicted sinner, a man guilty, a man or woman guilty of sin before God, of rebellion against him because you continue to live a life that is in violation of his goodness, of his righteousness, in violation of his commandments, then what you deserve from him is far worse than what you're going through right now. And I know that's difficult for some people to understand because there are some who may hear this uh, program and go, you have no idea what I've gone through in my life. You're right. I don't. But I know Rich has gone through a lot. Rich is confined to a wheelchair. There are things that have happened in my life that I'm not going to discuss. But if you heard, you would be shocked. Why? Because I don't talk about them normally. But there has been difficulty in my life. We've all faced trials and tribulations. We've all had something terrible happen to us. But if we have rebelled against God, if we have sinned against him daily with every breath, with every thought, with every deed, we have done something in in rebellion against him and tried to set ourselves up as king, which is what sin is. Sin says, I am not going to obey you in this area, God. I'm going to obey my heart. I'm going to obey my desires. I am king of my life. I am the one who decides. If we have rebelled against the holy, righteous king, then what we deserve is his everlasting judgment. We don't deserve reward and ease. We deserve his immediate, unrelenting wrath. Yet we still live. Vodi said it in that that clip. How can he know the things I said and did yesterday and not strike me uh, in my sleep tonight? how can he do that because god is merciful god is patient god is long suffering now god does allow us to uh, to deal with tribulation in fact jesus told his own disciples his own followers when we go to john 16 uh verse 33 behold the or excuse me 30 32 Behold the hour is coming indeed it has come when you will be scattered to each, each to his own home and ye, and will leave me alone yet I am not alone for the Father is with me now mind you these are his followers they are going to scatter and leave him alone and he says in verse 33 I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation okay his followers the very men who would carry the gospel forth as the church is born at, at the uh, time of Pentecost, following the resurrection of Christ. These are the men who would take the gospel forth. They would what? Have tribulation. And what does he say? But take heart. I have overcome the world. His own followers, his own disciples, the apostles, the sent out ones would deal with tribulation. What is it? Uh, go ahead.
1: I, w- I want to point out something f- for our Christian brothers and sisters and our faithful listeners in that you made a very good point. But if you go fast forward past Pentecost into the book of Acts it's the mm-hmm. first part, after the day of Pentecost, the church was growing and thriving. They had peace. They had tranquility. Everyone was sharing what they had with one another. If Christ had ever intended for a perfect church to exist on the earth, that was it. But what happened? They were not obeying what Christ had commanded about taking his truth and going into the world. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of theologians, and I have to agree, that one reason that Saul of Tarsus rose up and started persecuting the church was basically, to put it in layman's terms, to get them up off their butts and get them to <laughs> go about doing his business. That, that's a southern spin on that. But through that raising up of Saul and the persecution that came upon the church where they were having peace and tranquility and everything seemed to be just perfect, they were not doing what were, was commanded of them. And then you see Saul raise up and the persecution starts. And what happens? They scatter going about proclaiming the gospel. They go not only different areas within the nation of Israel, they go to the land of the Samaritans. They go to the land of the Gentiles. They go to the Roman colonies. You read the other accounts going on into the book of Acts when Paul had came into Corinth and he started to proclaim the gospel and the truth of Christ in the synagogues, and he ended up leaving and, and, and went to the Gentiles with the word. And God came to him and spoke to him and said, Do not fear, there's many in this city that are my people. How do you think many in that city became God's people? It was previously from all those disciples and those members of that first church who had scattered. They went to these areas proclaiming the truth of the gospel. They went to those areas proclaiming the gospel because of tribulation, because of persecution. And sadly... I'm not going to go into details, but we have many, many, many pastors who are really well-known leaders within certain circles of American evangelicalism who talk and act like they're scared to death of any form of persecution Mm -hmm. or any type of hardship or any type of discomfort to come upon the church in America. But guess what? The gospel of Christ has thrived and went forward and went forth more and more and more because of the result of persecution than it ever did during the times of ease. The, the Church of England was persecuting, and since we were talking about Reformation Day, look what they endured and suffered and went through. What was the end result of that? Christians fled England and came to America, or some did anyway. That, that's another discussion, but if you want to look at it through the Puritan eyes and those that came to America fleeing persecution— what happened? The gospel flourished as a result of persecution. At no point in time can you point to anything in the Bible and say that revival happened as a result of peace, calm, and ease. Amen. And people today talk about praying for a revival in this country. But are you willing to subject to the sovereignty of the Lord in how he might bring about that revival Or will you sit back and complain and murmur because of what God is doing to bring about that revival? Did the early church Christians, do you ever see Paul or any of the disciples in the New Testament complaining about what Christ was doing through them because of the stoning and arrest? No, when the disciples were arrested back in Jerusalem and they were all in jail and they were praying and asking God to strengthen them and grant them boldness. And the prison doors were opened and released and were told to go stand and proclaim the truth in the temple the next day. They did it. They obeyed. And then afterwards they praised and thanked the Lord for using them. We don't see that in American evangelicalism anymore today. People want to take the credit for X number of individuals coming forward during a service or X number of people coming forward to get baptized or even trying to schedule X number of people being baptized because I've seen next week we we expect 400 people to come forward to get baptized. When and how can you schedule the Holy Spirit to work? And I know I'm departing from our topic a little bit but I wanted to address that to our normal listeners and to those who are truly Christian. We shouldn't expect Comfort and ease. We should pray for endurance no matter what comes our way. We should pray for perseverance. We should pray to desire to live a life holy and pleasing to the Lord. Regardless of circumstances around us, God should be glorified no matter what is going on in our life. And sadly, for most professing Christians in America, God is neglected and completely thrown aside during times of comfort and ease.
0: Amen. Amen. So, with that in mind, God allows affliction and tribulation, even for the fact of not only just drawing his people to himself, because they are his, uh, you know, he is their sustaining power, but he uses it for his purposes for the proclamation of the gospel, as Rich just pointed out. For those outside of Christ, what does tribulation mean? And difficulty do it reminds you that what you are owed by God is something far more devastating, far more painful, far more eternal, and that is his wrath. But why does he yet still allow you to breathe air? Why does he then allow you to continue to live in this world if you have been such a vile sinner? Because God is gracious, God is patient, God is long-suffering, as we said. As you go through life and you are faced with these tribulations and these trials, these difficulties in life, remember, if God gave you what you deserved, this would be the least of it. And, And believe me, I know some of you face some extreme pain in your life. And you may think, no matter what I've done, I don't deserve this. Believe me, one lie is sufficient to condemn us to hell. The scriptures are clear. No liar, no thief, no adulterer will have their part in the kingdom of God. They will all have their part in the lake that burns with fire. Remember, God is righteous. He is perfect. He is holy. He does not lie. He provides for your needs. He, you know, if you have a spouse in your life, or if you are have a spouse that he has intended for you, and you are looking with lust, and you are uh, playing around on the side, he is going to punish you for this, because you have followed the desires of your heart, rather than the commands of the righteous and holy God. So yes, you face great pain and difficulty, and sometimes people have afflicted this on you, and they will be judged for their sins. But what, has, what their sins against you do not abdicate the sins that you yourself have committed against God. And yet God gives you time. Why? Because, as my brother Rich said early in the, or earlier in the program, he is, desires all men everywhere to repent and come to faith in Christ. He is giving you time. These difficulties, these trials, these tribulations are God's alarm bell. It is his pre-wrath wrath, wrath, as my pastor would call it. This pouring out of tribulation in your life is an alarm bell. It is his wake up call. It is him showing you that if you got what you deserved, this is only but the tip of the iceberg of what you will endure for eternity. And he is giving you time even now to see your sin for what it is, an offense against him, a criminal act against the God who created you, one for which you will one day be judged. And yet in his mercy, he provides a means of escape. And that is Christ. Christ, the son of God, second person of the Trinity, yet God in, per, uh, in de- uh, completely in deity, three persons, yet one God, took on human flesh came to this earth lived the life of perfection that none of us could live for a moment he lived for 33 some years always obedient to the father in all things thought word and deed and then willingly not in not as the the activist people like to say he was he was He was an activist. He was a rebel against the the empire. And they had to punish him. and and, And he can identify with you because he's been unjustly punished. No. Christ himself willingly went to the cross. Not for some social justice activist moment. Not for some mere demonstration of, I'll do this to show you I love you. But rather, went to the cross in love so that he might receive the wrath of God that sinners deserve. Taking the penalty, that wrath of God upon himself at the cross in full so that sinners might be forgiven if they would but repent, turn from sin, and turn to Christ, trusting completely in his work. That is what God gives you time for. These moments, these difficulties, this lifetime of pain or trial or tribulation that you go through are merely the warning signs, the tip of the iceberg, the, the recognition that what comes next is far more painful and yet fully and completely just because you have sinned against God and he has given us time So when you see these things, when you experience these things, this is is what should go through your mind. God is righteous, I am not. I have sinned against God. I deserve so much worse, yet even this, there is mercy because it points me to Christ. He's given us time. So when a person says to you, fellow Christian, if God is good... Why do these bad things happen? Remember, the question is loaded. And you have to take this person back to the perspective of God. Not themselves. And they're going to fight you tooth and nail. They're going to tell you, you have no idea what I've gone through. How dare you judge me? And that's going to want to, you're going to want to pull back. You're going to want to say, oh, well, 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 hold on. No. No matter how painful a person's life is, and no matter how much we can come alongside and comfort, and we should, a person in pain, it does not negate their sin. A lifetime of pain does not change the fact that that person who has gone through a lifetime of pain still has sinned against God. God will not grade on a curve. God's not going to say, well, okay, you went through a tough time, so I'm going to be a a little bit more gentle with you. You had every good good and perfect thing, so you're going to get the worst. We all will face the judgment of God when we step out of this life apart from Christ. So when a person says, well, why is my life so hard? Comfort them, be there for them in their pain. We don't want to negate that. But we also want to say, please understand, God is righteous. God is perfect. If you got what you really deserved, this is nothing compared to what can come. And I am here to tell you today, God is real despite your pain. Your pain does not change the reality of God's existence. Your pain is and it can it's continued presence in your life your difficulty the the lack of comfort or ease in your life to whatever spe- end of the spectrum you fall on that argument does not neg- negate god's existence and if God still exists, and if God is perfect, and God is going to hold you accountable for His to obey his commandments, and you have rebelled against him, your life of difficulty will not change his judgment. Because he is a perfect judge. God owes us nothing but his wrath. We do not deserve his kindness. But God is a merciful God who has brought these moments in your life as a warning sign that if worse, if you do not turn from your sin, there will be a worse thing to befall you. Everybody likes to say, well, Jesus came to the prostitute and the sinner and the, the tax collector, and he went to them, and he was, he was harsh with the religious leaders. Yes, but do you read what he said to the prostitute, to the tax collector, to the sinner? Now go forth and do sin no more, lest a worse thing befall you. Even those he healed, Christ commanded to repent from sin. And yes, he was harsh with the religious leaders because the religious leaders thought that they didn't have to repent. Sound familiar to you? What have I got to get ask for forgiveness for? My life's been hard. Same thing. When we stand before God, no amount of disease or difficulty or pain changes our sin. We are still going to be held accountable. So when the person asks, why do bad things happen? Because we live in a sinful world. And every time you encounter a bad thing in your life, that is a reminder, God will judge sin. Sin exists, it creates pain, it creates difficulty, it creates harshness, it creates wickedness, it creates torture and rape and death and theft and lies, and everything else, and God will judge every single one of them, including yours. God does not owe you a good life. What God owes you is condemnation. What you want is not what you deserve. What you want is God's mercy, and that is only found in Jesus Christ. This question perfectly sets you up to help a person see the gospel and their desperate need for it. Let that be the driving purpose in engaging this question, because you're going to be asked it. Rich, before we let everybody go, any last thoughts?
1: Just add one thing to what you were saying earlier. Everyone will be judged by God. Everyone that dies and departs from this earth will be judged by God. Everyone who professes to be a Christian will be judged by God the question is are you truly in Christ and when you're judged by God he will look at Christ and before he looks at you and say your sins have already been forgiven because my wrath and my judgment fell on Christ and not you or will he look at you and say depart from me I never knew you or perhaps even worse look at you and judge you based on the sin you committed over the course of your life against him. People will say, well, it's not fair that I should be punished for eternity in hell because I lied once when I was 15 years old. That's the standard of God's holiness, is perfection, is holiness. No one can live up to that standard. But only through Jesus Christ is that standard met and you are able to be forgiven for your sin. And if you're one of the many Christians I come across who claim, well, I'm saved, my sins have been forgiven, so that means I can now do whatever I want, repent, because I would have to say, if that's the way you think, you should truly, truly tremble at the words of Christ in Matthew when he says, depart from me, you workers of evil, I never knew you, because you are one of the very ones That scripture verse was written for. Amen. Examine yourself today to make sure you're truly in Christ. There's a difference between struggling and fighting against a sin and swimming and embracing and making excuses for that sin. And sadly, in today's world I come across variations of that comment far too often. People thinking, well, I came forward at this church service, I'm saved, now I can do whatever I want. No, that's not the way you're taught in Christ, if you've actually been taught in Christ. And if that's the way you're thinking, I truly have to question what you have actually been taught as a Christian. God will not let you live in sin and claim Him. If you're claiming claiming and doing that, you're blaspheming God Himself. Amen. So as you go forward, whatever you do this week... Make sure to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day because more than likely there's a Christian in your life who has never actually
0: heard the biblical way of salvation. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, we want to thank you for spending time with us again this week. I'm going to ask you a favor. Um, Consider sharing this episode. Now, by the way, not that the numbers matter, but we did notice apparently there was some sort of glitch and it caused some numbers to drop and it made us wonder what was going on and we figured it out. But if you ever want to be a blessing to this program, one way you can do that is to share a program that you feel that was helpful to use that might, might be helpful to others. And the, that, you know, that whole scenario just made us think, you know, we should ask you guys once in a while, if you find a program that's really helpful to you, consider sharing it with others. Um, because technical glitches happen, and stuff doesn't always load the way it should, and we may not be able to get it out the way we'd like to. So one way we can do that to make sure that we are being a help to the body is, hey, if, you, if it is blessing to you, share the program. And we're going to ask you to share this one, because this is a really common question. Share this with people who have that question. Share this with people who want to know how to answer that question. We're going to have a few show links in there. One of them is going to be the article that I wrote, the clip from Vody, which is about six minutes. I played about half of that. And then an article, well, it's actually an actual sermon from uh, John MacArthur on the Grace T website, which is, says, why does God allow so much suffering? It was his message at the 2008 Ligonier's West Coast Conference. So we're going to have you sh- uh, have that in there as well. All of these will be available as show links. So if you share this with somebody, they get access to all of that. And we'll make sure to put our gospel presentation in the show notes as well. This is one way that you can help proclaim the gospel by putting this out there because a lot of people are going to go into that going, I don't need to believe in God because number one, I think I'm a good guy and I don't do any different, live any different than you, as Rich pointed out. And number two, They 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 believe that they can determine God's existence, or His benevolence, based on whether or not life is hard. And that is completely the wrong perspective, and the wrong question, as Vodi says. So we're going to ask you to share this because hopefully this will help people especially the, the current generation. The current generation was raised, to and we all joke about participation trophies and, and everybody gets an award, but the current generation has been raised to believe that there really isn't anything wrong with them, unless we're talking about the color of skin, which everybody thinks means that's why if you're a certain melanin count, then you're the cause of all problems. But the reality is most people are in this world now especially in Western cultures, think there's really not anything wrong with them. And they don't see themselves in the light of God's goodness. And they don't see that what they deserve is God's wrath. So we're going to ask you to consider sharing this with others. Um, We just want it to be a blessing and perhaps a way of bringing the gospel to people because it's forcing them to think of the question differently. So hopefully this has been a blessing to you. Hopefully this has answered a, how to a, a way to answer that question yourself, and maybe it is a way you can talk to others about it. So we thank you for being with us. Thank you for being patient with us last week. Uh, we did intend to get this recorded. A couple of things happened, and uh, that uh, just kind of set us out. We've tried to work through some issues in the last couple of months, and of course life just it has a way of getting up and uh, and. Uh, you know, derailing you. (laughs) So we appreciate your patience and your continued participation in this program. And uh, we appreciate your prayers. Please be praying for us, Uh, especially our our families. They got to put up with us. Um, But uh, we thank you. We're grateful for you. And uh, we really look forward to spending more time with you as God permits. So we will look forward to speaking with you next time. Whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. And as my brother said, make sure you proclaim the biblical way of salvation to at least somebody this week. And maybe this episode's a way you can do that. God bless you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time.